anyway, okay, so we, I feel like we better pray after that. Let's, let's pray to get started. God, we just thank you for this morning. I thank you we can laugh together uh, and that we can enjoy time together. I thank you even just as we started our time engaging our hearts through music and worshiping and thinking of you and, and uh, reflecting on, God, that you are enough for us and what you've done is enough. And so, God, I pray that this time in this place, you'd meet us here. Even as we look at a topic that maybe for some brings frustration, maybe some brings guilt or shame, um, whatever it might be, Lord, we want to meet you in this place knowing that you're a God who heals, restores, who empowers, who leads, and who brings and gives us life. And so, Lord, may we experience your life today, and we give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me ask you this question as we kind of started off and talked about relationships or, or, or teased it out a little bit here today. But where do you go to get your idea of what relationships should look like? Or your idea of what your marriage should look like or the perfect person if you're single should look like? Where do you get that idea? If you're really honest, where do you get that idea? Now, I know in here, it's Sunday morning, everyone said, well, of course I get it from the Word of God. But where do we actually go? One of the ways we can find out is if you kind of look at the areas in your life where you maybe feel discontent or, or maybe in, feel discontent in a relationship or being single or whatever, look at where are you getting that idea that's leading to discontentment. And I would propose that for many of us, I would argue that culture seeps in and we get a lot of our ideas about relationships from songs written by 14-year-olds. <laughs> Maybe from movies, from the books you read, from watching The Bachelor. I wasn't looking at anyone in particular at that time, but I mean, I just someone seems guilty over there all of a sudden. What is it that you get your idea of relationships from? Maybe even Instagram. As you look around and you see, wow, it just seems that everyone else has the perfect marriage. They always go on vacation in a place where there's a perfect sunset happening, and there's nobody else on the beach. It's just the two of them. How amazing is that? They're hiking up in the mountains, and there's no fires. The weather's great. Like, wow, that is what marriage looks like. Or maybe for some of you singles, you keep looking, and every week, it seems, there's a new update of someone who's now getting engaged, and you think, oh, yay for you. <laughs> Today, what I want to do is I want to encourage us to find what I believe is the place, the source of truth for relationships, and it is in Scripture. The timeless truths of God, I believe, are is the foundation for healthy relationships. And again, for some of you in here, you're saying, I don't need to hear this today. But this is for those of you who are married or dating. This is those of you who are single. Maybe you say, hey, I'm never going to be dating again, so this might not relate. But I want to, for all of us, is how do we find our enoughness in Christ? And how does that contribute to our relationships that we have had, we will have, or we're in currently? You know, Jesus says this. He said that I came that you may have life and to have it abundantly. And what Jesus meant by that is a life in the kingdom of God, following and walking with Jesus, is abundant life. It is more abundant than the movie version of relationships. It's more abundant than any Justin Bieber version of what love looks like. It's a love by, or it's a relationship and a life that's designed by our God who designed you and me. 
And so that's what we want to look at today. So for us today, we're going to bounce around to a few places, but we are in our series called uh, The Path of Life. We're starting off in Exodus chapter 20 is where we will begin today. In Exodus chapter 20 and verse 14, we're looking at, we only have two weeks left, and yes, we've done this a little bit out of order, but this is a series that we're calling uh, what's called the Ten Commandments. And as we look at that, this one verse here, many of us would say, oh, I've got it, I can follow this one. And it's Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, and it simply says this, you shall not commit adultery. Now maybe a lot of us in this room say, okay, check that box, I haven't, I'm not going to, good, what's the next one? But I also know that some of you in this room maybe say, oh, that's an area of my life where I have failed. Maybe it's an area you're struggling with now. So we want to look at that a little bit. And today I don't want to call out failures in your past, but we want to give you hope for the future. Now, for those who say, oh, I've never committed adultery, we want to take this a step further. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. When he's talking about the law, he says, You've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her already has committed adultery in his heart. So some of us say, no, I've never done this. And then Jesus says, okay, let me take it a step further. If you think it's just about the physical act, let me show you what really this law is. Because people would say, well, I, I follow the law perfectly, Jesus. He says, you don't get it. You're trying to find a way around. But he says, let me take it a step further. He says, you, if you have lust in your heart. Now, this word lust, let me just tell you, this is not, this doesn't refer to like when you are, uh, you see someone who walks in or like, you know, you're watching a Carl's Jr. commercial, and you have this moment of like, ooh, who's that? Or, or, or ladies or whatever, if there's some guy who walks in, and his little Fabio flowing hair, six-pack, all that, and you have that moment. Of, some of you are like, that's not, I'm not into that. Whatever you're into, the, the paramedic who walks in in uniform, whatever. So, <laughs> I got you on that one. Okay, so, whatever, it's not about just that, that moment just that little moment where you go, oh, what about that person? But this word actually is if you chase after in your heart. Literally, it's not the word lust, but it's you follow after. So what Jesus is saying that if you follow after, if you're, you let your mind kind of start to commit that mental or emotional adultery, that you follow it beyond that fleeting moment and say, oh, that would be so much better than what I have now. And so really what I would propose to us is that probably almost every single one of us in here today is guilty at some point in our lives. So the question for us is, can anyone actually live this way? Is this standard too high? And Jesus intentionally put the standard so high that we would say we could never fulfill that. So he came and to demonstrate that he'll be enough for us. But I do believe that spinning out of this, there's a question we need to ask. And the question is, what, how can we succeed in relationships? If the standard is so high that it feels like we're never going to attain to it, then are there any biblical, is there, first of all, is there any purpose of trying to seek after healthy relationships? And then two, can we succeed? And I just want to give you the proverbial three ideas today of what I think are biblical principles that will help us succeed in the relationships. If you're married, if you're single, if you're dating, if you say, I'm never going to date, which, by the way, the Apostle Paul said, that's great. You can give your whole devotion to the Lord if that's you. 
Uh, but how do we even have relationships with others in a non-dating situation? And I believe these principles will help for all of that. Okay, you ready to go? So here's three ideas for us today to succeed in relationships. The first one is this. Replace your list with God's list. Now let me talk about what I mean by this. There's an author named uh, Michael Todd who wrote this book called Relationship Goals. And in it he talks about we need to throw away our list. In our minds, almost all of us have that list of who the right person is. Now, some of you literally have written that list. I've, I've, I've seen people, I've, I know some of the young adults, you guys say, this is my list. As long as he fulfills 25 of these, we're good to go. And, 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 and I think some of those are okay, but what happens is sometimes our list looks nothing like God's list. Sometimes your list, maybe, ladies, if your list is like, well, I don't, I mean, I'm not asking for much, just like, he needs to be like six foot two, have a six-pack and six figures. I mean, this, that's, that's it. That's all may, maybe for you what it is. Or, and, and his parents need to live far enough away that they don't drop in anytime they want. I mean, whatever your list might be on something like that. Guys, maybe your list is, I don't, I'm, I don't expect much. Just if I mistake my wife, if I think, oh, is that Beyonce? No, it's my wife. I mean, maybe that's, maybe that's your list. Maybe it's, oh, she just needs to be into me all the time. What is the list that you have? Now, some of you say, my list isn't that shallow. My list is deeper than that. But often I find that our lists, at some level, often reflect what we want, what we think we need, what we think we want. God's list is often talking about what he knows we need. And so we want to replace our list with God's list because here's the thing. This is one thing I love. Michael Todd said this. When your life doesn't look like your list, we get frustrated and discontent. When all of a sudden you say, I just thought after a few years of marriage that he would be more romantic than this. I thought that he would, he would still be pursuing me like I, like I dream of, or I thought that she would still be just chasing after me after all these years. Why not? Maybe if you're single, I just thought that this person if I just gave myself to him, that, that would have been enough, and it wasn't. And so our, we make these lists, and then when we look at our life, and when our life doesn't match our list, we start to get discontent. And so we want to replace our list with God's list. And say, God, who are the people that, what would you want for me? What is it that you want me to pursue? God, who do you have? And our life starts to get wrapped up in pursuing the kingdom of God and, and, and thinking about the kingdom and, and principles of who God has for you rather than your standards. And we're going to get to, it's okay to have things that you prefer. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But often our list doesn't match what's got, what God's list would have. In Proverbs chapter 31, verse 30, it says this, charm is deceptive and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Young men, how many of you, if you were to be honest and wrote your list, would you say, I just want a woman who fears the Lord, who loves Jesus and pursues him? That's my list. Ladies, the same. What's your list? What kind of guy do you want? Yeah, I'm talking to the single ones right now. Who are you looking for? Why are you finding discontentment in every relationship? Is your list a guy who passionately loves Jesus 
and wants to live in the kingdom of God and bless others and, and, and has a partner that they can, you can love Jesus together and make a difference in this world. And yes, he might be five foot seven and a six pack might be hidden somewhere underneath his belly. What's your list look like in a marriage? What's your list look like? I just thought he'd be making a little bit more money by now. But he doesn't. I didn't know that her hair was going to turn colors that fast. <laughs> didn't know he wasn't going to keep his hair. It's on his back, not his head. What's going on? I was uh, grateful that in college, um, I dated this girl my like, sophomore year and broke up. And uh, a couple of years later, before senior year, I was hanging out with some friends. We had mutual friends with her, and uh, they were talking about her and said, you know, this girl, she, um, she's volunteering in a youth group, which I was working in a youth group at the same time. And uh, she was involved in the street ministry in Seattle, University of Washington, and just had this love and passion for Jesus. And I remember we were hanging out with some friends, and one of my friends said, man, that's, that girl, someone needs to, someone needs to meet her. <laughs> someone needs to marry that girl. And, and I just thought, um, yeah, you know, I, I dated her a little while ago, and, 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 and it didn't work out. But that summer, we were at, um, I went to a Mariners baseball game, and when the first time, when I dated her, I got her into baseball, which that's pretty sexy. So anyway, so... She got into baseball, so here it is, two years later, it's a summer, I went to this baseball game, and I'm sitting in the outfield, and I look over, and she's at the game, right after this conversation, and I remember seeing her, and just thinking, that's that girl we were just talking about, a passion and a love for the Lord, <laughs> and she loves baseball, that's pretty amazing, but the problem was, she was with, there was a, there was a guy with her, and when I saw that guy with her, I mean, I was just like, okay, whatever, I mean, I could totally beat that guy up. I mean, it's, and I waited to see if he was going to go off to the bathroom, and I was just going to, you know, tie him up and lock him in the stall and be like, hey, I don't know where he went, but I'll take you home. Anyway, so, and, uh, but I remember that moment, and, and a few weeks went on, and, and I kind of reached out, and we started hanging out again, and fortunately, from that moment on, it's, you know, 24 years ago, I, I married that girl, and um, it's my wife, Sarah, in case you didn't connect <laughs> But I'm so grateful, not only that there's that list, that it was God's list, but that I had friends in my life who helped me see the right things. Who helped me see the right things. And said, this is a woman who loves the Lord. And yes, I'm still totally attracted to her to this day. I know my kids probably just threw up in their mouth. But I, I'm totally, I still think that she's uh, uh, very hot. <laughs> she's my wife. I love, I'm attracted to her. She still likes baseball. All these good things. But I'm grateful that God helped me see a list that wasn't just my list. So let's replace our list with God's list. Next thing is this. Focus on being the person God wants you to be. What do I mean by that? Before we talk about the type of relationship you want, first let's talk about the person in the relationship. And who I'm talking about is you, not the other person. Not the person you hope to meet, not the person you're married to, to say, yeah, Ryan, come on, let's go change him. Say something that's going to convict him today so he changes. No, before we do that, let's talk about you. 
focus, so a healthy relationship, we want to focus on being the person God wants you to be. This relates to if you're single, if you're married, if you're married with no kids, if you are even in a life stage where maybe you're widowed or divorced, but always think about, God, what are you doing in my heart? What are you doing with me? It is so easy to find the things that other people need to change, is it not? And if only they would change, this marriage would be so much better. If only they would change, your dating relationships would be so much stronger. I believe God wants us to focus on ourselves sometimes. Say, let me change and transform you. I'm going to talk specifically for a moment to ladies. There's a great passage in Scripture called Proverbs chapter 31, starting in verse 10, following. If you look at that, I love the picture of what it looks like talks about a woman who ends up, she's, she's diligent and wise, cares for others. She cares for her family. People call her blessed. Her family calls her blessed, which wouldn't every mom love that or every wife, right? Your, your family wakes up like, oh, you're so blessed, mother. Oh, and so, but, you know, guys, then do something about that. But it talks about, the sta- about what this looks like, and it ends with this. She's a godly woman who trusts the Lord. She can laugh at days to come. I love that picture of a woman who just says, you know what, there's a lot going on in this world, but I can laugh at what's to come because ultimately I have this amazing trust in God and his, that he is in control. Yes, my kids got a terrible teacher this year in third grade. And you know what, I can laugh at that instead of stress out about it and try to manipulate and change it. It's going to be okay. Your kid will learn how to talk eventually, okay? It's okay. He got the wrong coach. Oh no, his baseball career's over. He'll never get a college scholarship or make it to the MLB. No, he's seven. It's okay. She can laugh at the future because her trust is in the Lord. She sent her kids off to college. Yeah, there's a lot to stress about, is there not? We're learning that right now as a couple. We can say this person is in God's hands. I love that picture. And of course, we could go to tons and tons of passages. But let's take some time to talk about the guys. Should we for a minute? (laughs) Guys, where do I go to see what does it look like to be a godly man? Uh, The whole Bible. (laughs) There's plenty of examples of failures. There's a lot of challenging examples for us as well. I love in Ephesians chapter 5. I believe it's a good place for us. Ephesians 5.1 says this. Follow God's example. And this one at at this point is talking to both of us, men and women. Therefore, as dearly beloved children, walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering to sacrifice of God. But among you, there shall not be even a a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or greed, because those are improper for God's holy people. Nor shall there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather be filled with thanksgiving. Guys, you want a list for your life. You want to say, let me focus on what God wants for me to be the person in the relationship. Look at Scripture and be convicted by it. Be transformed by it. Ephesians chapter 5 goes on, and verse 25 says this. Husbands, I want you to hear this, husband. Love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Any ladies in the house want to say amen to that one? Guys, how many of you say, well, this marriage, this relationship is, just didn't go the way I thought it would go. It's just not going the way I thought. And, 
and, you know, if she could just change a few things, it'd be so much easier. But look at the challenge to you. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. What if Christ loved us the way we expected to love others? Like, have you ever, do you think God's ever been patient with us when we didn't deserve it? Did he ever forgive us when we didn't deserve it? Was he ever understanding? How many times did Jesus say, well, if you would just do these things for me, then I will be a better God to you. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up. Men, guess what you are called to? To give up yourself for your spouse if you are in a marriage relationship. To serve her. That's the call to you. So, when we want to focus on a healthy relationship, start with you. Focus on what God wants for you. This is a challenging truth. And this works for those of you who are dating, single guys. It works for you as well. What does it look like to be selfless? Be sacrificial in your relationship. Be willing to serve one another. Often when I uh, do mar- weddings, part of the, marriage mes- the wedding message is one of the things we talk about is this passage. And I actually extend it to both and say, you know, in marriage to succeed, we have to be willing to not meet halfway. Meeting halfway is a recipe for disaster in marriage. Because there are some days you can meet halfway just fine, and that might be when you're picking out what movie you're going to watch. Is it, are we watching, you know, Gilmore Girls tonight, or are we watching, is that a movie? I don't know why that just came up into my head. But <laughs> Little Women, or are we going to watch you know, Terminator tonight. Which one is it that is, what's date night movie? And and so, (laughs) in which my wife is usually like, I'm going to go upstairs and read. You can watch whatever you want. And so that's kind of how it works. But so there's some things that are meet halfway, but most of the time for marriage to succeed, it has to be willing to go all the way. To not meet in the middle. Because there's days one of you is going to be stronger than the other. There's days where some of you are going to have to be willing to say, I'm going to give up what I desire today for you because I love you because that's what Christ did for me. So don't always focus on what the other people need to change. Look at yourself. The third idea is this. So we have, uh, we want to replace our list with God's list. We want to focus on ourselves and, and what God wants to change in you. And then this one is this. Never stop investing in the relationship. There's this idea out there, and I've read a lot about it, and I think that it is a lie. I don't think it's healthy. And it says that in your lifespan, that everyone should have three different marriage partners. Now, some of you are in here, you're divorced, you're remarried, and and I'm not bringing shame on you. I'm not talking about this right now. But there's this theory that, that says that you, because you change in life, that you need different partners throughout your life to match the different times in your life. When you're you know, young, before kids, you need that partner, that family stage of life. And then you need the partner that you can just go have fun with and forget about your kids. And, and literally, this is a theory that's out there that people talk about. Well, I think that that is a lie, and I don't think that's truth from God. If you continue to invest in your relationship through all the years, you will change and grow. You will be different. It is very different having kids who are in high school than it is having kids in diapers or not having kids at all. Amen, those of you who are parents. And I guess it's probably very different when you wake up one day and there's no one in the house but you and your spouse. And you have to figure that out too. But when you continue to invest in that relationship with one another, you grow and you change with the times, but you grow in unison and change in unison. 
And anytime you say, well, we're just growing apart, that happens. But I would say instead of saying, okay, we grew apart, we're done, how can you invest back into the relationship? Man, challenge for you. Delight in your spouse. Pray for her. Thank God for her. Do you know what happens to your heart when you start praying for someone and thanking God for them? Just something changes. Thank God for your spouse every single day. Serve her. Don't say, hey, you know what? Why aren't you more into me? Why don't you just say, you know what? God has blessed me with you. I'm going to serve you and love you and pray for you. Women, same thing. Delight in your spouse. Respect him. God's lo- guys love that. Honor him. By the way, these are all taken from verses all throughout Scripture. We're even told in, in 1 Peter that if you're married to someone who doesn't believe in Jesus, that the way you serve and love your spouse can be the difference in his salvation. Now, the pressure isn't on you to save him. The pressure's on you to be who God wants you to be. So delight in your spouse. If you're dating, and you're dating someone who loves the Lord, delight in one another. Pray for each other. Build your foundation on your relationship and getting to know each other in the depths of who each person is rather than the physical part of it. Invest in love and pray for one another and grow strong that way. I know for some of our young adults, especially some of the ladies, you've told me that it's so hard even to find a Christian guy who's willing to date you without having, adding in all the physical stuff. That a lot of relationships end that way. Well, ladies, let me just tell you, if someone doesn't care to know you and get to know you and, and love you without that, he's not good enough for you. I really mean that. And the guys who are sitting there right now thinking, oh, why'd you say that? If you're pursuing someone and you're going to get married, you have a whole life ahead of you where you can explore and, and, and go deeper in that part of your life for many, many years. Let's talk briefly. It's quiet in here this morning. <laughs> Let's talk briefly about physical intimacy, and I am talking about it in the context of marriage, okay? Let me talk about that for a moment because the Bible talks about it. Because I don't want you to leave here and say, yes, but this is such a frustration in our marriage because I know that one of the top two problems in a marriage relates around physical intimacy. Let me just read a couple of verses for you. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 3. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife. Talking about physical intimacy. Men, underline that in your Bible and circle it. Like, oh, that's a good memory verse. <laughs> and the wife, likewise, should fulfill it to her husband. And all the men said, amen. <laughs> the wife does not have authority over her own body. Keep reading, though, please. But yields it to her husband. Keep reading. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come back together again, that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Notice what this says. This passage Paul's writing and says, hey, in the context of marriage, physical intimacy is important. So don't neglect that. Don't let that slip away. Don't let that be a, a thing of the past. Make sure that this is something that is important to you that you invest in. Now, I want you to understand the whole verse, though. 
It says a wife doesn't have authority over her body, nor does a husband have it over his. This doesn't mean that someone is subservient and will do whatever you want whenever you want it. That is not what this means. That's a misinterpretation. This means you belong to one another. The two become one flesh. You care about each other. You want to invest in your relationship together. And the two become the spiritual being. This is unique to humans. Now, I know there's some examples in the animal kingdom where some animals are together their whole lives. But we are made in the image of God. So physical intimacy in the context of marriage is different for humans than any other species. This physical intimacy is not just for having kids. It's something deeper and more spiritual that's going on. And so that's why God holds us in such high uh, esteem. And it, by the way, it's not just for guys. Okay? Get that out of your head. Some of you think, oh yeah, this is God designed that so guys, you know, don't commit adultery. That's, that's you guys, you are not uncontrollable sex monsters. You're not. Get that out of your head. Don't say to your wife, you know, if you were into me more, then I wouldn't struggle with pornography. Don't put that burden on her. That's on you. That's on you. Oh, if you were into me more, then I wouldn't have my eyes wander. I wouldn't have thought about these other girls or whatever. No, 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 no. That's you. Sorry, guys. I'm actually not sorry. I believe that godly men are men who are able to even man up in this area of their life. I know that's not culturally appropriate to say that anymore. (laughs) And I'm not trying to make light of gender confusion and all of that. That's a whole different topic. What I'm talking about is men. The biblical definition is we need to be men who love and cherish and honor our wives. And you are not uncontrollable. You're not an animal. You're human in the image of God. And God has made physical intimacy this wonderful thing that both of you are intended to enjoy. And it creates a deeper connection on a soul level. Now, some of you, I know, say, like, it doesn't make a deeper connection. I've been with plenty of people. There's no deeper connection for me. That's just a lie. You know what? That's because you misunderstand, and you are missing out on the intimacy that God has for you. Women. I want you to continue to think about your man in this way too. Physical intimacy is important for both of you. You are not his servant. That is not biblical. Any passage in scripture is passage that say, wives, submit to your husbands. This is an example of how Christ submitted to the Father, a willing obedience. It's saying that be, my re- love and honor and respect, I will respect you as the head, but you are not his slave. You matter to God and you are valuable. But this part of your life is beautiful too. It's intended to be beautiful for you. The physical intimacy, do not neglect one another. It matters. It matters so much that God wrote about it in his word. And I believe that in marriage, we want to, all of us want to be fully known. And women, I want your men to know you, to know your shame, your hurts, your insecurities, and still fully love you. And do not, men, don't heap on more shame and insecurities on your spouse. But invest in each other in this way. 
that should be an amen from some guys too. You know, like, yeah. I saw some nudges. No. The bottom, at the end of all of this, we could talk about this for a long time. But one of the things we want to think about in the end is this. Psalm 37, verse 4. I want you to see this verse. It says this. Delight yourselves in the Lord, and he will give you, and God will give you the desires of your heart. Now, we could misunderstand this when we think about relationships and everything and say, if I just delight myself in God, then he'll give me what I want. <laughs> awesome. No, what I really believe this is saying is delight yourselves in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. He will place desires in your life that he intends you to have. So when we think of relationships, when we think of if you're single and you're delighting yourself in the Lord, say, God, I want to delight myself fully in you and allow God to put the desires in your heart. You may have a desire to, to have a spouse one day and you say, I'm so discouraged in this area. Keep delighting yourselves in the Lord. Keep pursuing him and God will work on those desires. For some of you, you may never be married. Some of you, you'll be married sooner than you know it. Some of you, you're married and you say, my marriage is, is a wreck right now. Delight yourselves in the Lord. Invest in one another. Let God change your desires. This matters. When I think of, and again, we're not heaping shame on what has happened in your life, but when I think of the divorce rate among Christians is the same as those on, among non-Christians, it makes me think we've missed what God, the beauty of what God has for us. And if this is part of your story and your past, remember there is forgiveness and healing and hope in Jesus. So cling to that. And if you're in the middle of a mess right now in your marriage, don't try to go through it alone. We want to we walk with you. We want to help you. We think there's hope. But let's be people who model this beautiful design that God has given for us that I think is life-giving, not just to one another, but to the world around us. I'm going to invite Dom up to end our time in worship here. And as we respond just to, to the Lord here today, I know for some of you, again, I know some of you might be feel some conviction, maybe some hope, maybe some discouragement, maybe some of you couples are like, can we be done? We're going home for um, lunch. Anyway, <laughs> Which is cool. <laughs> it's biblical. But whatever it is, let's let God convict and challenge and change our heart. And let's be a community of people who, when we hear Jesus' words about adultery, and ultimately what he's saying is, we are all in desperate need of a Savior. We can't do this without him. Let's be a community who leans on So I want to invite you to stand with us. And I'm going to do something. I'm not going to ask you to, to, to identify yourself, but I just want to take a moment. I want to pray, first of all, for different groups in here this morning. And I want to start off and pray for our, our singles. So would the rest of you just join in unison as we pray for our singles here in this place? God, I thank you so much for the lives who are represented in this place right now maybe have had relationships end, maybe they're longing for some, maybe they're in a life stage where they're no longer apart. But I pray, God, that you would bring your comfort in their lives right now. 
God, I pray, pray that you'd bring your hope and your peace into their lives. And God, I pray that you would bring meaningful relationships, whether it be friendships or mentors or whatever it is, into those lives today. Let them know that they are your treasured, beautiful possession, that you pride, they're your prize, Lord. And God, I pray that we would be a church who loves our singles well our young singles, our older singles, our, our widows, Lord, that we love them well and fulfill that need for to be known that they desire. God, would you allow us to be that? And Lord, I want to pray for anyone who's in this place and maybe their marriage has fallen apart and maybe they're struggling with the guilt or shame or even just maybe struggling because they feel relieved. God, I pray that you bring healing in their lives, that you bring hope remind them that they're not damaged goods, that you can make all things new, that you bring hope and peace in those families today. And God, for the marriages in this place right now, God, I pray that you would be so present in the marriages. Lord, that you would teach us, men and women, to serve you, to give ourselves up for one another in your name. God, would you give us the courage to boldly love the way you called us to love? Would you give us the courage to, to put down any idea that life could be better apart? Would you give us the courage to put down the pornography, longing for someone else who'd be more romantic or whatever it might be, God? Would you allow us to rest and trust in the person you've given us, to see the beauty in that? And Lord, for any marriage right now who's just on that last hope, that this morning would be a, just a spark, a reminder that it's not over. Would you put people in their lives to bring healing and restoration make it better than they could ever So God, we do all this. We pray these things to the God who we know is listening and the God we know cares and the God who is able to do immeasurably more than anything we can ask or imagine. Would you move in this place?